1: And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina, And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got a phenomenal episode. And I'm going to start by just saying, okay, Boomer, listen up. (laughs) We (laughs) We know you're out there. We know you're out there and happy new year to you. Uh, We've got Laura Cusisto from the Wall Street Journal. And what's so exciting about this is Laura wrote an article back at the end of November.
2: It actually got a lot of play on a lot of uh, forums and things that, that I follow. Uh, Okay, Boomer, who's going to buy your 21 million homes? Now, this is a really interesting article, basically about a slow-moving crisis uh, of generational change taking place in the United States, but also applicable to Canada. Who's going to buy the Boomer mansions, the Boomer dream homes? Uh,
1: Gen Xers don't have the financial wherewithal. The desire, the well, need say, save it is Save it for the, the show. Not, oh, Matt. yeah. Okay. Save it for the show. But you know what the thing is, is if you're not letting an article like this at least inform your investment decisions to some degree... Really, it's it's uh, you're doing it wrong. I it's think. a slow moving crisis. It is, it is. <laughs> but
2: but one thing that's interesting is she talks in the article about the Sun Belt and Florida. But Laura is actually originally from Canada, and uh, so she's got a she's got a line on where this applies in Canada, and also at a micro level, at a city level, which communities to watch for, which ones are tr- in trouble. It,
1: it's a fascinating talk. It's super applicable to uh, Vancouver as well. And it's just an interesting conversation, one that you're really going to enjoy. And happy new year, everybody. It's good to be back. Um, we took a couple weeks off over December and uh, you had a good Christmas, Matt?
2: I did. Yeah. I spent quite a bit of the, the break at your house, actually. Your, yes. Your, your
1: newly renovated house. It My was house. Nice. We're back in. It's very exciting to be there. Lots of, uh, lots of lots uh, of rummy, um, and uh, we also played cards. Yeah. <laughs> I, I call my rum rummy. <laughs> <laughs> and eggnog. <laughs> a lot of rummy and eggnog. I thought you were talking about <laughs> your own. Yeah, no, we did. We <laughs> played a lot of cards over the holidays, and we also uh, – we also... Uh, there was some puzzles. There Rang was out a kids. couple puzzles quick. Uh, yeah, it was...
2: Uh, no, it was relaxing. It was great. But it's good was. to be back. It's it is. good to
1: be back and uh, hit the ground running, the Roaring 20s. It's been bu- busy start. It has been a busy start to the year. You... Uh, actually, you just had... Did you have an inspection today or was that yesterday? You don't, you're you're yeah. already doing deals. Well, I have an... Inspe-
2: yeah, I had an inspection. This was actually great. Uh, I go to the inspection. Uh, we were looking at the common rooms, right? Because... The depreciation report was a little bit older. I wanted to take a look at the mechanicals, the roof. Uh, I get there before anyone else. I right. meet the building manager. He's there, South African guy, older gentleman. He's talking about the building, explaining, you know, how it's a larger strata and how complicated it is and everything. I said, oh, yeah, so it's a sounds like it's a pretty complicated job. He says, nah. Are you going to do the accent? No. He says, no, no. I used to, I used to manage a, an elderly care home. He's like, this is like assisted living. He's like, this is what I say is a walk in the park. Yeah, that's a cakewalk. That's a cakewalk. So I said, yeah, I, I think that makes sense. You know, assisted living. I bet a lot of people have a lot of time on their hands. Sure. You know, they're watching like a hawk. Love he old says, people, but
1: wouldn't want to do that. Yeah.
2: Job. And I think I got to do the accent for this part. Yeah. So I say that. He looks at
1: me and goes, the worst, oh, the worst, mate, is the bitches yeah 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 wait I don't know why I'm doing the accent I just I'm I'm actually thinking at this point you're kind of stepping backwards away from I this I actually guy. it kind of
3: it
2: was like you punched me in the stomach I, yeah I was like yeah you just looking blankly know. at him yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and, he, and I'm like oh yeah like yeah. Uh, and he goes oh they're the absolute worst right and I'm like what the I, how do I get how do I get out? how do I get yeah. out of this situation yeah. Uh, and, in the, and then there's like a long pause, and I felt like it's a just the two um, of
1: you. It's it's, it's only just the two, two of you. us, okay.
2: And I was thinking, okay, this is like a very uncomfortable pause, right? Right,
1: you got to get out of this situation.
2: Uh, and then he goes, "Oh, mate, yeah, just hanging them, moving them." <laughs> He's like, "Listen, finally, I said, get your
1: family to hang these pitches." Oh, pitchers, pitchers, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Turns out he's a great guy. Oh, yeah, Turns yeah. out he's, oh, he's a, great a phenomenal guy. guy. The inspection yeah. wins. Loves smashing. his wife. Loves women. <laughs> he's, he's 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 a, he's a fantastic guy. Uh, so shout out to him. Well, that's a that's a great story. Yeah. I, I honestly uh, we are both horrible at impressions, but I think you you did okay on that. Bang one. on me. It was uh <laughs> <laughs> no, spot on.
2: Maybe I think yeah. it should have been spot on. I don't know. Anyway, we got no
1: we got to keep moving here. Let's yeah. get to we got the Oakland tip this we week. We do have the Oakland tip. Matt, we still have not figured out a jingle because Secret does not do his job, but uh, we're just going to move forward with it. (laughs) It is the Oakland tip. So
2: the Oakland tip this week is when you're listing your home, make sure
1: to get a staging consultant at the very least yes, now what do we mean by this Adam Well, here's the thing, Matt. Um, everybody fancies themselves a bit of a designer, and there's a good chance that you that you are, but uh, if it's a hobby, you know you want to get a second opinion, and the idea when you're listing your property is you don't want to have a really specific aesthetic that is going to be polarizing. You want to make sure that it appeals to the widest market possible. So what we always do, and as part of our listing package, is we provide a staging consultation with a professional stager that we know and trust. She comes through, she makes sure that your place looks beautiful, stunning, but accessible, right? And then gives you some advice. And you know what? Sometimes... Their Houses or condos are 99% of the way there and ready to be put on the market. But even if you take one thing away from that consultation, it was worth it. You know what? And, and
2: the thing is, you could have the best style on the planet, but if you've lived in a place day in and day out for a long period of time, you're missing things. You're seeing it through a certain lens.
1: You got your peaky blinders <laughs> up.
2: Is that, that's what I'm I was saying. I'm, say. so, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I, no, I'm not getting offensive. This is getting <laughs> offensive.
1: I I don't know if that's yeah.
2: yeah. I, my point here is uh you know, people coming through an open, people coming through for the first time are going to see it for right. themselves with a new set of eyes and that's exactly what the stage in consultation yeah. is for. She's coming through or he
1: to look at it from the gaze of the buyer and that's what you Trust want. the pros yeah yeah and you know what um every every week we do a uh a tip of our own, oh yeah we have a tip this week, I think it's yeah. your turn uh, it is it is you did the last one holiday uh, my, tip my holiday tip uh, one of the best things of the holiday for me is i got so uh are we had a family member visiting with uh with their two kids. And they had this machine. It's called Bop It. Have you? Well, you well, you I saw it, yeah. yeah. Secret. It I don't know. A half of my you don't. You've never seen Bop no, It. No, i never. No, I don't. Know I actually, anything. I ordered one on Amazon. I liked it so much. Didn't you order uh, like three for the office? Well? I, I ordered a few, thinking in a, in that it went on forever. Of, I, I, <laughs> a flurry of activity I tried it once. I tried it once. I thought it was the best thing I've ever done. Okay, so the concept is it's a it's a small toy, a children's toy, a piece of plastic, a piece of plastic. Piece of plastic. But it it instructs you to either bop it twist it or pull it okay so you either hit one button which is like bop it you twist it or you pull it and it and then it speeds up over time and you have to keep up with this but the best thing about it is it's uh you don't think of anything else except for bopping it twisting it and pulling it yeah and uh it's a lot of fun but then i realized it stops at 100 and you've beat the bop it uh and that was uh i realized that after i'd already ordered it so uh anyways my tip is Anyone with... Don't uh, buy Bop-It. Yeah, <laughs> no, my tip really is uh, if you've never tried Bop-It, it's pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, but and it's a great... It was it gave us a lot of holiday joy.
2: It, it did. One, I would put this in the category of uh, of something that I, I already feel like this week I, I wouldn't have time to look at Bop-It. No, this that's, is a, like the that's only holidays. This is this is a holiday. Save it for next year, but Bop-It was... Yeah, make sure it was, you have a Bop-It for and, Christmas. And it's challenging. Like I did it... Maybe 150 times, and I only got to 62. Yeah, but are, are these are are these tips getting worse? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're definitely putting more time into them. A lot well, of thought well, goes into point, our yeah. tips. The, the, point the Oakland is, tips are fantastic.
1: Yeah, the point is is to make the Oakland tips uh, look good. Yeah, um, and you we also what? have it's, a, it's not hard. Yeah, and we have another sponsor as well. We're gonna shout out to uh, Ramey Films, RameyFilms.com. Also doing uh, live at the Bento, which is where we host the podcast. By the way. Our next Vancouver real estate live. I feel like we just
2: were hot off the the last one, but yes. next week, next Wednesday, we got Andre Pavlov coming down seven p.m. on Wednesday at the live at the Bento Box. We're doing Vancouver real estate live with Professor Andre Pavlov, past guest.
1: It, it, Guy's basically a genius. It, he's he's amazing. In. He's amazing, and he's going to be joining us for a full hour. Um, Matt, remind me, what is the date? It's next. January
2: fifteenth, which is Wednesday at seven PM is okay. when we're we're gonna be live at the Bento Box. Last time we had a fantastic
1: turnout. Yes. A lot of
2: questions. It was it was great.
1: So the idea, and just if you haven't if you haven't joined us for Vancouver Real Estate Live before, it's basically just We're live. We're live in the studio with our guests. We're talking about real estate, anything you want to talk about. People are asking questions. It's interactive. It's phenomenal. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And you know what? Like we like talking about the market. The nice thing
2: about Andre Pavlov is he can go low. He can go as high as you want to go. If you're
1: high level. Yeah. yeah, No matter how sophisticated the question. I'm not going (laughs) to troll you. (laughs) Yeah, when but when (laughs) our trolls go low. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyways, definitely tune into that. Yeah, definitely tune into that. And Matt, without further ado, let's cut to our interview with Laura Casisto. Yeah, enjoy, guys. This is a real good one. Great start to 2020. Okay, so we're here with Laura Cusisto, U.S. legal affairs reporter at The Wall Street Journal. How are you, Laura?
3: I'm great. How are you guys doing?
1: Very well. Thanks so much for taking the time today.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay, Laura, so we wanted to have you on because you wrote a very popular article recently called Okay, Boomer, Who's Going to Buy Your 21 Million Homes? Can you, we maybe start by, by asking you, why, why did you write this article?
3: So um, it began really an economist who I know and well and kind of work with a lot. And um, we worked on a number of different articles together and he came to me and said, I'm kind of interested in looking into this topic of what's going to happen uh, to their homes when the baby boomers die because there are so many of them. Uh, do you think people will be interested or do you think that's too morbid? And uh, <laughs> I said – yes, I think people would be, too, it would be interested, but yes, I also think it might be a bit too morbid. So we sort of tweaked it a little bit and looked instead at just the people dying and also people you know, moving into assisted living, moving with their children, but essentially anything that meant that they were moving out of uh, the, the single-family housing stock. They were selling their dream home or selling their retirement home uh, and not going to live in a home anymore. Um, and uh, not surprisingly, it just completely struck a nerve uh, with everybody from Baby Boomers, but also uh, Gen X and Millennials, because it affects it affects people of all ages, this question of all these homes that are going to come on the market, and is this going to be a great time to buy?
1: Well,
2: the the obvious question from there is, is it going to be a great time to buy? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, Well, so yeah, I guess I should say there's actually sort of two sides of the question. One is, is it going to be a bad time to sell? And the other is, is it going to be a good time to buy? (laughs) Um, And uh, so I think the answer sort of first this question of, is it going to be a bad time to sell? And I think, yes, I think in a lot of places, you know, baby boomers who maybe built their big uh, suburban dream homes, their 5,000 square foot homes uh, in the suburbs and thought this was going to be a great kind of investment. Um, I think for some people, that's probably not going to prove to be true. Uh, The generation coming behind them doesn't have the resources and in a lot of cases the desire to buy those really big homes. And I think likewise for people who are looking to sell homes in places like Sun City, which I wrote. About which is a suburb of Phoenix in Arizona, Um, these kind of suburban retirement communities, these like paradises for for the old. Um, That just kind of doesn't seem like it has the same popularity with the next generation. And again, so I think that's going to be a tough, tougher sell. Um, And the sort of flip side of that is yeah, I'm not sure that this is going to be a bonanza for people my age. You know, I'm in my 30s and certainly it's been a struggle to buy a home, but you know, homes aren't going to be coming on the market in the places where I want to buy in places like New York, uh, in places like, you know, Vancouver, and these really great places to to live to the same degree. Um, There'll be some, um, but I think we're going to really see a flood uh, is in places where, you know, millennials, Gen Xers are just less inclined to live.
1: Can can you talk a little bit about um, the shifting wants and needs in the housing market right now with younger generations?
3: Yeah, so um, wants and needs is a great way to put it, because I think people talk a lot about um, millennials only want to live in cities, they only want to live in walkable areas, and the sort of My experience reporting on the housing market, the data I look at, there's some truth to that. Millennials are more inclined than prior generations to live in bigger cities, to live a little bit closer in. Um, But I think another way to talk about that is it's also driven by what's happening with jobs and what's happening with affordability. High paying jobs increasingly have migrated to a handful of bigger centers, San Francisco, New York, Toronto, Vancouver, these kind of big cities that are Real sort of magnets for talent and for business, and people kind of have to live in these places. It's not that e- as easy to find a job in a cheaper place. And then there's this sort of second issue, which is just affordability and housing costs have risen much faster than wages since 2012. Um, and millennials are also, uh, in a lot of cases, have student debt, um, they may not have as steady of a job as their parents, they're freelancing, um, and so they don't have the wherewithal to buy the same kind of homes that their parents did uh, or to buy them as quickly.
2: Interesting. So it's almost, it seems like the shifts are not necessarily an individual, kind of the culture at an individual level as, as much as kind of at a macro level, uh, kind of structural
1: more.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I think people think about a lot of it as being about individual choice. um, And, oh, those millennials are so flighty and they don't want to buy homes. But I think actually a lot of the factors that are affecting them are just much bigger than they are. It's just about a changing economy and a changing housing market. Housing has just gotten much more expensive relative to income than it used to be. Uh, So it's not as easy as it used to be to buy that first home to get into the market.
1: so which which markets then Laura are are maybe at the at the biggest risk? A- and and in terms of timelines here because uh yeah,
2: when how do you see this playing out?
3: Yeah, so um oh- so I'll answer the second question first. We are we are starting to see it play out now already. Um, we're seeing baby boomers uh, pass away or move in with children, leave their single family homes in higher numbers than um, we were seeing in sort of within the long-term average. So we're already seeing uh, about, you know, 2 million people are expected this decade, more people are expected to exit the single-family housing market, age out of the single-family housing market than the prior decade. So that's already a a significant increase. Um, And then by the time we get to 2020, we are looking at a pretty large scale. I mean, as the the headline says, we're looking at 20 million homes um, being vacated by baby boomers. And um, that, you know, that's sort of going to be it's interesting to kind of think about how that will play out because that is you know that is in terms of the shock to the housing market you know we can think about it as being basically the scale of the bubble in the mid 2000s in the, here in the US which was uh, enormous, right? Mm-hmm. And, and caused all kinds of problems, but it's going to happen much more slowly over a longer period of time. So there's some question about, you know, does the market adjust, you know, there's all kinds of bigger things that could take place. You know, immigration policy could change birth rates could change. There's all kinds of big macro factors that could affect things. But I, I have no doubt that we're going to see some impact. There's just no way that we can see 20 million homes over 20 years um, put on the market. Um, and not have that have an impact. Um, And so in terms of places that it's going to affect, um, I broke it down sort of in my head as I was reporting on the story into three categories. Um, And one, which is what I... Feature in the story is a place like Sun City, Arizona. Uh, so these retirement communities—they're often restricted to play- people who are only 55 and older. Uh, they are really these kind of—they're like paradise for your grandparents. They have bocce ball and uh, stained glass making classes, and you know you can—you never have to own a car. You can just drive your golf cart, um, and so they're—they're they're like amazing places to live if you're. 75, but they're not appealing places if you're 40 with
2: kids we, we might have had a busy last quarter here but it actually sounded pretty appealing and we're <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're both. just yeah. coming on 40
1: I was dumbfounded by this article <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't so want to live there
3: i just like a truth telling moment like I I went there and I thought I would hate it and I was actually like this seems great <laughs> it's like it was you know it was uh, you know the, the cold at, back at home and it was sunny there and there were like as many swimming pools You could ever want, and like it actually, like I was totally like. And people there look great, like people there because you you're really active, like you. There's things for you to do. You're not just sitting at home. So yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for it, but probably not a lot to be said for it when you're like 40 and you have two kids and a job. And it's not aimed at that. (laughs) There there's no school. There's no there's no industry. Nothing like that. Um, so those places, they have, they're going to have a hard time because there's just not, it's not a clear model for how you rejuvenate yourself if, if, if uh, you start to lose that, that older population.
2: And people, as I understand it, it's not necessarily that if you're 65 or 70 that this doesn't appeal to you, but more that uh, the baby boomers are just such a massive generation that there's just not enough people with the wherewithal to afford it or that are actually retiring to fill these communities.
3: Exactly. So if you look at, if you look at Generation X, there are there are two big problems. One, that they're just not as big as the baby boomers were. Um, and two, that they're not as wealthy. They didn't have as good of a time. The baby boomers, right, you know, famously born in the aftermath of World War II during a, time of incredible prosperity. Gen X, you know, came of age much more recently, a very different kind of economy. And so all the kind of data that I looked at showed that they have higher levels of debt, they're less likely to own a home, uh, they're less likely to have savings. And so those things don't add up to a really cushy retirement in paradise, those add up to somewhat to a generation that's going to have to work longer, that's probably going to just Stay in their existing home. They may not even own a home that they can sell and use in retirement. So they just aren't going to have the wherewithal to fill the spots that the baby boomers are leaving.
1: Right, right. So you mentioned okay. So you mentioned the retirement kind of communities, uh, and you said that there were three in total.
3: Oh, so yeah. So I, I kind of thought of it in three categories. So the first category in my mind was the retirement communities. Um, The second category in my mind that I I felt was going to really struggle, that I saw was going to really struggle, uh, would be what in the U.S. we would call these Rust Belt communities. Um, And in Canada are are probably more like sort of the center of the country, places like Saskatchewan, uh, Manitoba, like places with older populations and that may not have as kind of vibrant and thriving of an economy that maybe are not attracting young people, uh, in the same way. And so certainly in the U S like what I looked at was, um, places like Cleveland and St. Louis, these kind of all really places where you've had graying populations and you don't have really kind of thriving industry that's going to attract people, uh, to replace older people as they move on. Um, and then the third category were kind of pockets, like these kind of mini retirement bubbles uh, in larger, more vibrant, more expensive cities. And so in New York, uh, it was the Upper East Side. Uh, in San Francisco, uh, there, there was Berkeley. There are these kind of places where, you know, there are neighborhoods that are old, that aren't that cool, that aren't that hip, but they're in places where housing is in such short supply and housing is so expensive uh, that people will, will will certainly move in and, and flood those places. I don't know what that neighborhood would be in Vancouver, but there's no question that in a place that's as expensive as Vancouver, uh, that wherever that would be, if you had a bunch of older people uh, move on, pass away, young people, even if it wasn't the coolest or hipest neighborhood, would move in just because there's so little housing.
2: Mm -hmm. It's funny because we've actually seen exactly that happening with the the west side of Vancouver, maybe. Certain uh, pockets. Yeah, Shaughnessy, Carisdale, where it was kind of the Tony neighborhoods um, that now the prices have come down. And in kind of more traditionally working class neighborhoods, the prices have come up where the gap between those prices don't necessarily make sense. But the traditional working class east side places are so much more vibrant, right? Um, that a lot of people don't want. It seems like at least the market suggests that people are not really interested in, in moving to those kind of quieter, more elderly neighborhoods now. So we're seeing yeah, that for sure.
3: We see that in New York too, absolutely. Like the Upper East Side, like no one I know lives there or wants to move there. Uh, but I interviewed people there who who had moved there, who were in their 30s, who said, this is the best deal in town. Like I just sat down and did the numbers and it's still a great neighborhood and it's close to Central Park. And so I, yeah, I didn't really care that, you know, there's not the newest bar or restaurant opening there.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's, that's exactly like the West side. It's like, we, we were talking to somebody not long ago Well, we had a house where we sell real estate. We had a house five blocks from the beach and we were saying, this is crazy. Like it's, five blocks from the beach and people would rather be, you know, in the older industrial part of town paying fairly comparable prices because yeah, there's a great cheese shop.
3: Exactly. Exactly.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe just thinking about how this plays out. So it's because it's interesting 2008 um, especially in the U S and especially in some of the areas that, that uh, we're talking about here, like Arizona and Florida, they got hit, they got kind of crushed and it was, it was very quick, right? Like it was like the, the tap shut off. Um, This sounds like it's a process that plays out over 20 years. Um, Is this, I guess uh, two questions. One is this, are people thinking a lot about this and how to tackle this issue? Or is this, are you kind of sounding an alarm Uh, or is this just something that maybe we haven't thought about or the general public isn't thinking about? And, and, and secondly, how is yeah, what what needs to happen to kind of mitigate the risk here?
3: Yeah, so I think one of the things that actually surprised me pleasantly when the article came out, given the kind of the kind of negativity of the article, was that um, people in the leadership in in Sun City, which is the sort of main place we feature is being kind of doomed in this scenario, uh, they did not they did not call or write and say, you're wrong, you don't know what you're talking about, you're just a journalist who's sensationalizing. They, they called and wrote and said, hey, can we share this article uh, with as many people as possible, can we, you know, we want to plan for the future and this is a really useful tool for us to understand what's coming. Um, and I was really happy about that. Like I really was sort of appreciated that they, they sort of took it in this, this spirit. And, um, you know, I talked, I talked to them for the article and they said, we're not, we're not naive about this, you know, kind of by definition, anybody who moves into this community has something of an expiration date, right? Like, these these are people who are moving, this is probably their last home. Um, And so we're constantly trying to figure out how to remake ourselves. But also, there's a kind of strategy to that, right? Because it's like, you know, you're not going to remake yourself to be uh, the next, you know, Williamsburg in Brooklyn, right? You're not going to be this super hip place. You know, one woman I interviewed said, we're not going to put in a rock climbing wall. Like, that's not what our 80-year-old residents need or want. So it becomes this question of, like, they're kind of finding this tricky balance of continuing to evolve, um, in a way that keeps attracting new people to come there and enough new people, uh, without, uh, without kind of losing, you know, who they are. And, um, and I think that's going to be the, the thing that a lot of communities are going to grapple with. Like, there, if you are a community that says you have to be 55 or older to live here, you're going to sort of face a choice of, uh, do we at some point Get rid of that restriction, to, and and there was a, a place that I I, I also interviewed. Where it's a new community that's under construction where they were going to make it 55 or older, uh, and they looked at these demographics and they looked at what was coming and said, actually, you know what, we're gonna. Put in amenities and services that will appeal to those older people, but we're not going to restrict it to that. We're going to kind of hedge our bets a little bit uh, and try to attract people from different age groups so that we're not just relying on this one age group. Um, So I think that'll be a really interesting thing that places are going to grapple with. Um, But yes, I think uh, I, I... I think some places were more prepared for it than others, for sure. Uh, I think some places had thought a lot about it, and other places I would call and talk to officials there. Uh, and they just weren't... I don't know that they were unaware of it, but they just weren't interested in making the kinds of changes that it would it would take.
2: Right. I wonder if... I'm just thinking about, on the local level here, thinking about, you know, even how you were mentioning in, in every city there's kind of neighborhood by neighborhood. Like, in, in Vancouver... Uh, it seems like this kind of aligns with the, the NIMBY movement and not my backyard movement, um, which seems to be skew older in terms of people who are not interested in in density or new development. Uh, and uh, and that kind of aligns with with uh, city planners banging their head against the wall in trying to make changes to these communities to make them more vibrant.
3: Yeah, one of the communities um, that I, I happened actually to visit for a conference while I was working on this story um, was um, Manchester, New Hampshire, which is not far from Boston. You know, probably I, depending on traffic, I'm, I'm thinking probably about an hour. Um, and there, there's they have a very uh, white and much and much older, kind of aging population, and. You know, one solution for them would be to build something like a light rail to build really great transportation to Boston and become essentially sort of a commuter suburb for Boston. But it's very divisive there um, because you know, that would just completely change the character of the community, right? Like it's been a very kind of quiet, uh, you know, uh, community that's, you know, close to Boston, but not of it. Um, And, you know, you start to build transportation, you start to build more apartments, and you're going to have a busier place. And that doesn't necessarily appeal to current residents of those kinds of communities. Um, And so that's, that's a tough question you have to grapple with, because you, uh, if you want kind of a future for your community, you may have to, adapt to some of those realities, allow new housing, allow transportation to be built. Um, but yes, you're totally right. For older homeowners who've lived there forever, they don't want to see that kind of change.
2: Right. And and presumably it's going to take that the house is going for sale and the shifting demographics and the changes, but it's probably going to be a fairly long, drawn out, painful process to, to yes. get those communities to where they probably need to be for for to be appealing for our younger generations.
3: Yes, no, I think that's exactly right. I think long drawn out and painful are, are the perfect adjectives <laughs> for that. <laughs> um, just,
2: and I'm just thinking here in terms of long drawn out and painful, what can you talk about the the kind of uh, apart from kind of single uh sellers, the the larger uh, potentially long drawn out and painful implications for local regional and and even national economies,
3: yeah, absolutely. So I think when I was writing the story, I, I thought a lot about this, and i I felt like I could answer the kind of the local regional question, which is i I do think that it is a challenge for these places, and you can look to. Uh, aging communities in the Rust Belt already to know that it is a challenge uh, if the population starts to decline, uh, if uh, home values um, start to flatten out or even fall, you lose that property tax base, you lose um, that kind of employment base, um, and uh, you do see kind of these places then struggle to provide the same kind of quality of services that they used to provide, and then it becomes uh, something of a vicious cycle because it's hard to get people, attract people to move in. You know, I should say, I don't think kind of for the reasons we were just talking about, I don't think this is inevitability. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. I think places, if they see things coming, if they plan for it, they can adapt their economies, like a place like Sun City, for example, that's so close to Phoenix, which is a pretty vibrant uh, metropolitan area. There's hope for them to kind of adjust, but it becomes a question of, do they? Um, and if they don't, I think you definitely do see a local economy that's likely to suffer just as you have fewer people, fewer people spending money, you know, you know, fewer kind of affluent boomers able to kind of spend on services, restaurants, and that kind of thing. Um, I think the national economy, we spent a lot of time, I talked to my editor a lot about this, about what we could say about that. Um, That's very difficult. I mean, I I don't think there's any question that the aging um, of the boomers, that the loss of the boomers is is a long-term challenge for the economy in the U.S. and in Canada. But there are so many... um, there's so many ways that policy could respond to that. So, uh, you know, immigration is a big question. Uh, That's a very hot, sort of sensitive political topic here, but just from a purely economic uh, perspective, you know, if you open the spigot and let in more immigrants, that could uh, replace um, some of the the boomers that are being lost. Um, Or, um, you know, or it just becomes a question of, you know, how, how does the, Um, and how does the economy change? You know, do, does it become an economy that's more centered around these, these centers where we talk about younger people wanting to live, um, at the expense of other places? And what does that mean? That kind of inequality between cities. If New York and San Francisco are really winners in this scenario, but smaller cities are kind of losers, that's a big challenge for the economy too. Um, so I think there's, that's like, I think that is probably a book for somebody to write, probably yeah. not me. Like, I think it's uh, uh, it's not an easy question to answer at all. Um, but I uh, I think it's something people are going to be thinking a lot about and, and writing a lot about. So because um, it is, it's sort of the big the big challenge right now.
2: Also, yeah, the ec- the chal- economic challenges there, but also the political challenges because that's the the kind of inequality that is seems to be driving the divisive politics of the age presumably sounds like this potentially just adds fuel to the fire.
3: Yeah, exactly. Like, I think you potentially end up, yeah, with a situation where you have vibrant cities that are also expensive cities where a lot of people can't afford to live, uh, and then cities that are affordable but where they don't have the same vibrancy and the same jobs. And um, we, we certainly see that developing in the U.S. economy already, and this could exacerbate that. And that is it is a political problem. It creates resentment and misunderstandings, and uh, it's a big, it's a big challenge here.
2: So maybe we'll leave it there. We have this section called the Five Wire as well that we'd love uh, for you to stick around with the New York version. But I just had one question. We usually have uh, a, a tell us about yourself section at the start, um, which we we didn't do today. But but are original. So you live in New York City. You work for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, But you're originally from Regina. So you're originally you're a Canadian in in working for one of the major newspapers in the US in this kind of pivotal moment. It sounds like you were back in Canada for the holidays. And presumably everybody was asking you for some some sort of insight or dirt uh, from the newsroom about uh, what's going on in the States. Any uh, anything interesting?
3: What's and, the we, goss? And, we, and we
2: can edit it if there's no goss but presumably yeah. there is
3: well, I was going to think of what I don't know what I'm allowed to say. <laughs> Probably there's not. This is a confidential conversation. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of <laughs> deep throat.
2: Somebody, you don't have to name names. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's anything sufficiently interesting that I'm allowed to say. <laughs> sounds like an interesting
2: position to be in, though. If you if you have yeah. a bunch of things that are not allowed to be said. <laughs> yeah.
3: Uh, Yeah, no, there's no question it's a really fun time to work at an American newspaper, I'll say that much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, So Laura, so so you can stick around for the five wire, five quick questions, usually about Vancouver, but today it's the New York edition. So question number one is, what is your favorite area in New York?
3: Uh, my favorite area. So I, I lived there until recently, about eight months ago. Um, my favorite area is an area called Fort green, um, which is in Brooklyn. Uh, it's kind of just off of downtown Brooklyn, but, uh, it, uh, I have a dog and it has this amazing park where you, before 9am, you can take your dog and let your dog run around wherever they want. And, uh, it, uh, is a kind of really fun, interesting neighborhood. It was a sort of, really kind of vibrant, uh, wealthy African-American neighborhood for many years. And then was very dangerous. Uh, this is, you know, the story of lots of neighborhoods in New York. It was called Bang, Bang, Shoot Him Up for Green or something like that. It was super dangerous. Um, and now it's just, just a very kind of fun place with uh, a lot of kind of people who work in the arts all the way to bankers who own townhouses, um, but, uh, lots of kind of depth, yeah, lots of stuff to do very kind of little microcosm really of, of New York.
2: So a more interesting place in the Upper East Side.
3: More interesting the Upper East Side. Yes, exactly. The, but the polar opposite of the Upper East Side, where 30 years ago, uh, no one would have chosen to live, no one kind of who had all the money in the world, no one who could afford it, uh, would have chosen Fork Green over the Upper East Side. And now lots of, you know, Fork Green is also super expensive, you know, probably more expensive than many places on the Upper East Side. But people would, would choose that for what we talked about for the great cheese store and the, <laughs> the good music store, that kind of thing.
2: Right, right. Uh, favorite bar or restaurant?
3: Um well so probably also in Fort Green, uh it's this place called Miss Ada, which is uh, uh a really great Israeli restaurant that was around the corner from our apartment and my husband went to it, and I went to it for many years and this is like a great New York story where now and it was not, you know, kind of not you know, well known or anything like that, and now it's getting lots and lots of press and lots of coverage and it's actually kind of I think getting the the due that it deserves. Um I also, I also, because my husband always makes fun of me for this. I should mention that I do still think the best brunch I ever had, though, was in Winnipeg at Clementine, which my husband always makes fun of me for because there's all these great brunch places in New York.
1: But world I, class I, I city.
3: Hey, yes, yeah. <laughs> I still think Winnipeg takes this. Speaking of weathering the storm well, Winnipeg. Yeah, we're, we're originally from Winnipeg, so we can speak to. I don't oh, know if I can speak to Clementine, but it is a world class <laughs>
2: city. There's no question.
1: Um, one book you would recommend that our listeners read uh
3: so i don't know uh i don't know if this has been as popular in canada as in the u.s it's it's been within a certain circle super popular here but it's a book book called evicted uh by a guy named matthew desmond um and uh he spent years uh living in a kind of lower income community in Milwaukee and writing about eviction there and um, it is like to me it's just the most amazing as someone who writes about has been been writing about housing and thinking about how to write about it uh, eviction was such a hard thing to cover because it's it's not like one big dramatic event. It's just like a slow trickle of lots and lots of small, small cases, small events in people's lives. Uh, And he just did an amazing job of making it into something that people could really understand as a bigger issue and a bigger topic. And, um, uh, yeah, I've recommended to lots of people who are really interested in real estate and I also recommend it to people who know nothing about real estate and everybody seems to really uh it just seems to resonate with everybody a lot.
1: Interesting. If you if you listen carefully, you can hear all the landlords listening to this program downloading <laughs> yeah. that on audible. <laughs> yeah, there you go. What <laughs> um, one one piece of advice that you would give your 18-year-old self?
3: Um, I think uh I think probably just that nothing is, nothing is permanent. Uh, it took me a long, I, I felt like I I put so much weight in all of the decisions that I was making around that time in my life, you know, around every class I chose to take, around where I was going to go, what I was going to do after uh, uh, undergrad. and uh, And, you know, I ended up doing, I did a, Master's degree in Poetry at U of T. I did a year of Law school at U of T and then I went to Journalism School in the states and you know, I think I felt like I, I felt really kind of bad about myself that I hadn't taken a clear straight path, but all of those things have been useful. Um, all of those things have ended up adding up to the career that I've had. And I, I wish I sort of had been able to just like enjoy those things each, each for their, each in their own moment, kind of knowing that, that it would, you know, that nothing was no decision was permanent, no decision was irreversible, which is, I think, at the time, it really felt like every wrong step was going to haunt me forever.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. That's, that's great advice. That uh, sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, I uh, think that's right, yes.
2: Uh, no, that's, that's very useful. So, uh, last question for you, Laura. Something you have purchased for under $1,000 in the last year or two that has had a really positive impact on your life.
3: Um, let me, let me think about that for a minute. So in the last year or two, something that I purchased. So this, this is, this is a little bit longer ago, but I, I, uh, this is like a little bit, yeah, like a little while ago, but when I had kind of first moved to the U S, um, and I was not making very much money and I, but I wanted to, I had not, um, yeah, I spent all my time in New York, and New York is this very kind of specific. Uh, and people, you know, the the word now is bubble, but yeah, it's this very kind of. It's very different than a lot of the rest of the U.S. And so I wanted to travel and I wanted to see other cities, but I didn't really have the money to do it. And so I took um, I took overnight buses, overnight Greyhound buses, from city to city, um, and went to Philadelphia. Um, and Charleston and Atlanta uh, yeah and and and, and so, so I got to kind of see uh, oh and Richmond, Virginia I got to see all these kind of southern American cities for basically no money because I would sleep on the bus um, you know so it was just so the cost of the bus ticket and the cost of food so it was all, all, all I'm sure added up to less than a thousand dollars and uh I felt like kind of gave me my first real kind of taste of the U.S. and also like coming from Canada these were places that like New York is not in a lot of ways that different than Canada. It's a very big city but you know people are pretty similar. People sound similar. Uh, people have kind of similar life experiences um, and that was like just a totally that was just a totally different world and um, I think it gave me a real sense of kind of inequality in the U.S. and how much starker it is than Canada, uh, but also like fun things like how there's like how amazing Southern food is and all this kind of stuff. So I think that was like uh, that was money well spent when I didn't didn't have very much money to spend at all.
1: Yeah, that's a good, that's,
2: that's the that's first great. time we've had uh, Greyhound bus tickets, but uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a great answer. And only the
1: second experience we've had. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Usually, it's AirPods. <laughs> Usually yeah. it's AirPods. Usually it's AirPods. Usually it's
3: AirPods. I don't have AirPods, but my husband's trying to get me to get them. But so maybe if if that really would change my life, maybe I should break down and do it. <laughs> uh,
1: well, well, maybe we'll leave it there. But Laura, how can people find out more about what you're doing and, and, and your writing?
3: Yeah, uh, great question. So, um, my uh, I do have Twitter. Um, so, it's at Laura Cusisto, uh, which is K U S I S T O. Or uh, you should definitely uh, check out the Wall Street Journal. And uh, there are lots of other great writers here, other than me, who are uh, writing about. Tons of interesting stuff, um, and uh, yeah, that's how you can kind of keep in touch.
1: Do you, do you ever go back to Regina and say, "I'm I'm writing for this little publication"? Maybe you've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah my my
3: grandma actually to this day I think still really wants me to come home and write for the Leader Post. Um, <laughs> but, it's just it's just too cold there. I've gone soft. I don't own proper winter clothing anymore.
2: <laughs> uh, oh, right on. Well thanks, thanks again, Laura. That was a fascinating conversation. Really appreciate your time.
3: Yeah, thank you guys. They were great questions. I really enjoyed it.
1: So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Laura Casisto from the Wall Street Journal. Really enjoyed that conversation with Laura, Matt, and uh, I am excited to get back to New York now. That yeah. was some insider uh, access. Yeah, that was, that was uh, no, that was great. I know we, yeah, for those, those listening who don't know, I yeah. was, I lived in New York for a bit and, uh, yeah, you spent quite a bit of time on my couch. I did, yeah. I spent uh, three weeks, this was around 2005, Yeah. and pro tip if you're visiting New York, Uh, Don't make the mistake I made. It's uh, pronounced Houston Ave, not uh, Houston Ave. Um, I still
2: remember when we walked in that dive bar and you yelled,
1: Houston, we're in the building. (laughs) And And then at the end of the night, I yelled, Houston, we have a problem. Uh, second pro tip: If you are in New York, uh, you got to check out Bygie Small's hometown, uh, Brooklyn. Um, I would never was really good at pronouncing names. Um, anyways, Matt, what else do we have before we cut for the week?
2: What else do we have? Uh, well, we have our website,
1: VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com.
2: dot com. We should say we're done with Vancouverism. We 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 still we gave away our last book. We well, we might have a couple more, right. but we're 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 turning over a new leaf in twenty twenty. Thank you all for the reviews. That was that was really great, and we still have a couple more to deliver but but anyway, so thank you for that. um the rest,
1: what else do we got? We got vancouver real estate dot com yeah, we do, and we should say it is twenty twenty it's starting the year is ramping up. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, in 2019. And uh, we really appreciate you coming back in 2020. This is going to be the best year yet for the podcast. We are also available to help you if you want to buy or sell real estate in 2020. We have our goals down, our real estate goals, and what we we want to achieve this year. And really, um, your goals are our goals as well. So we're super excited about 2020. Absolutely.
2: And if you want to just monitor a market or get on our mailing list, Head over to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com where you can see things like the live wire. That's our weekly newsletter. You're going to see stats before anyone else. We got sales ratios going out. Like our stats are the best. There's no
1: question about that. For sure. We also got that research tool, private client services. Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's the best research tool for looking for Vancouver real estate that we've ever seen. It Really, and we've tried them all. It's it's phenomenal. You got to get on there. It's free on our website, com. But
2: yeah, other than that- just remember, next Wednesday, 7 p.m., live, Vancouver Real Estate Live. That's going to be great on YouTube. and uh, Andre you, Pavlov. Andre Pavlov, wow. the, the one and only. If you want to talk about that or buying or selling or anything else real estate related,
1: give me a call at 778-847-2854 or matt at com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at com. We also got that secret line. Info at com. Nice. I don't have anything to say about that. That was pretty good. Have a good week, guys. It
2: was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Salt
0: and pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic, Molly, Mall.
3: I let my tape rock to my tape. Two thousand faces for radio.
1: Subscribe today.
2: or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers, that's Holyhouse.ca.
0: Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution.
2: We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down.